today's podcast, we got Kyle Zell, retired sprint car driver and current track manager at Lawton Speedway. Uh, and we're good. Cool. So I, I just want to kind of get you on and see what you thought about it and how you got involved in racing and you know what actually you started right. with it. Yeah, I um, I've been involved with it my entire life, pretty much. My uh, my grandparents bought a racetrack in Lawton in uh, 1961. They still own it to this day. Uh, we raced there last night, and then uh, that was in '61, and then uh, 1971. They bought another racetrack in uh, Mesquite, Texas. We still own it. They also raced last night. And so I was born in 1981. And uh, at that time, I think my grandma and grandpa had three or four racetracks. They had uh, acquired another one in Houston. And then, uh, sorry, uh, Amarillo. And then uh, a little bit later on, Houston. So my grandma and grandpa have uh, been in the racing business since 1961. And so that's oh, wow. kind of how I got uh, involved in it. I was born into it, I guess. Uh, so I spent every Saturday night, it seems like, uh, of my childhood at the Lawton Speedway or at the Devil's Bowl Speedway in Mesquite, Texas. Um, but I also had like a normal childhood where I played sports and all that stuff too, you know. So I just... Um, the racing side of it also. So, I, you know, I spent, uh, like I said, I spent a lot of time at the racetrack growing up as a kid. Um, my grandma and grandpa were uh, always against like any of us racing, but we also had like, <clears throat> we had jobs, you know, at the racetrack. So I've done pretty much every job you could think of at the at the racetrack, except I've never, I've never been the announcer. I've never been a scorer. We have ladies in the tower that every time the car comes across the start finish line, they write the number down right. and that's how we keep track of Who's running where on the racetrack? I've never done that. I've never been the announcer, but I've pretty much done every other job you could think of there at the racetrack growing up. And so how important is the dirt work on the tracks? That's that's what I do now. So that was like, oh, that's, uh, that's, that's what I do now. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like as I was when I was younger, I did I did some of the dirt work, but I was never like the guy or whatever, I guess you would say. I, I would just be like driving a tractor and, and pulling a sheep's foot behind it or whatever to where like now. I pretty much maintain the, the whole racetrack myself. And so um, I do got a guy that comes out and helps me, drives a tractor for me and stuff. But so now that's, but the dirt work itself is, is like, it's paramount. It's critical. Um, it's unpredictable. It changes all the time. It changes throughout the night. And you try to stay, you know, you, you want your racetrack to be uh, hard enough that it doesn't, doesn't get rough. It doesn't rut up. Right. But you don't want it so hard that it won't hold any moisture because then it'll just slick off over time. You know, throughout the night, the, the longer the guys run on it and it slicks off, then it starts to take rubber. And so then you have you get into a tire wear situation where, you know, you start wearing tires out really, really quickly. And uh, that's it's not good. It just costs money. It costs the racers money. Tires are expensive. Uh, right. right now we're in a tire shortage. So it's like, and so, yeah, the dirt work is like really critical. You, you know, you want to, you want to be able to get moisture in the dirt, but you want it to be hard enough that it, it doesn't rut and, and get real rough. And so uh, it's a, you know, it's a real dancing act or whatever you, however you want to say it to, you know, to get that consistency and to maintain it. On the tire wear, how does that work? That, that's something that I, you know, you know like, I was never thought of because it's a, it is it's a dirt, dirt, right? Yeah. yeah. So normally, like when you start the night out, you'll have a lot of moisture in your track, sometimes to the point to where it's even like slimy and greasy, you know, and, and you, like we have, uh, we usually run four different classes at Lawton. So you, you know, those, each class will get, uh, 
each car in in the in the class will get three or four laps, like warm up laps, if you will. So, um, and we use that time to like kind of sling that greasy, slimy mud off, and then you know, right underneath that, it'll be a little bit harder packed, but it'll also have quite a bit of moisture in it. You hope you want. And, and so, and as the night wears on, you know, you, you just kind of lose that moisture from them running over the same spots over and over again, right? But as long as you can keep that moisture in there, then you don't have the tire wear. But it, it, when it starts to slick off and you don't have the grip, the moisture in the racetrack to grip on, well then, so your tires start spinning. You're spinning your tires on, on the dirt instead of them, you know, like grabbing a hold of the dirt. And so right. that's when you start having tire wear. And the longer that goes on, the more spinning well, the rubber on the tire comes off. It goes onto the racetrack. You got a hard surface there. You you just start piling rubber on rubber, and then you get so as time goes on, this could happen like in a twenty lap race. Halfway through the race, you'll get enough rubber down to where all the cars will basically get in one line, and they'll go around the track in that rubber. Right. And if you get out of the rubber, you're screwed. You're going backwards. But and but when they're going in and running around in that rubber like that you're just chewing the rubber off the tires, you know, as, as you go around and it, and it happens a lot faster. So the key is to have like the perfect dirt track is, is you want some, a lane on the bottom and a lane on the top to race on in the middle, you want it to be slick. And that way, if you're going to run the bottom and you miss, you get hung out in the slick and the guy running the top can get around you that way. Right. You want oh, your, you okay. want, you want to try to keep your lines as your top and your bottom is even as far as like, you know, the speed of the two, right. And then right. you got two lines that, guys can race side by side around your track and it just promotes it, it's better racing that way right so that's in a perfect world you get a bottom groove and a top groove and it's slick in the middle and uh so it's tough to to reach that to get how that. was you when you had your first race so that's so like back to what i was saying my grandparents they were against any of us grandkids even like um my two uncles they were against them racing when we were growing up like i said we all had jobs at the racetrack right, right. so racing was what we you know we were in the racing business but we were on the promoting side of it not the racing side of it and there was no time for any racing because all the work at the racetrack you know, it takes up all your time during, during the week. And so anyway, I didn't start racing until I was 26. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was really can in day, like, uh, in today's racing world or whatever, that's like ancient kids are starting when they're six years yeah. old or maybe even younger, you know? So I didn't start until I was 26. And, um, my wife kind of had a, a big part in me starting racing because my grandpa was trying to get this class going, you know, get some cars involved and, and some guys interested in, in running this sprint car class. And so he gathers up some older cars, older sprint cars, and uh, he's going to put some guys in them to, to run them and they're for sale. So they come from, from our other track in Mesquite, Texas. He brings them up here to Lawton, three cars, three sprint cars. And so they're sitting there at the track and it's all I can think about for the first four or five days that they're that they're here you know they're sitting there at the track and i'm looking over them and everything and just coming home and telling rachel about them and and uh you know she's like well you're just gonna have to tell your grandpa you know or ask your grandpa if you can if you can drive one of them tell him you know you just you want a shot you want to try it and uh, i'm like oh he'll never let me you know there's no way they they wouldn't well so my younger cousin he lives in mesquite at the other racetrack and uh, kind of the same deal down there. My uncle, his dad, 
basically kind of told my grandma and grandpa, look, you didn't let me race. You didn't, you know, you, you guys were against this my whole life. And so I don't want him to get cheated. I wanted him to at least get a chance, right, to to race. And so they they let my cousin start racing. And so that was kind of my my foot in the door, I guess, if you will. Um, you know, I kind of had that as leverage, like, well, you let Martin race, so come on. But I, I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't get the balls to ask him. I couldn't get the courage up enough, I guess, to ask him. And uh, I'm sure Rachel got tired of hearing me whine around about it there for the first week or whatever. And, you know, she was just like, you're going to have to ask him if you want to do it. That's the only way you're going to get to do it. And so one evening I was sitting at Blake Dacus shop in Fletcher and we was drinking beer and he was like, I was telling him what the deal was. And he was like, you better call and ask him. You, you ain't going to. You're going to be a pussy. You got to call and ask him. And so I did. I, I got my phone out and I called him and told him not to sell one of those cars I wanted to drive. And uh, so he told me, all right, well, we'll give you a shot in it. Then next Sunday, you come out, uh, you can make some laps and we'll see how you do. And we'll go from there. So that following Sunday, I uh, I went out there and I had some Converse All-Star yeah. Chuck Taylor shoes. I, yeah. I, I had uh, my cousin. My cousin drove up here from, from Mesquite from our other racetrack. He had drove up here on that Sunday morning and brought me a fire suit he had, an old fire suit. I think I borrowed Mike Baker's helmet because Mike was, or one of Mike's old helmets, he was racing. Mike Baker was racing sprint cars at the time. So I show up out there on Sunday. I give it hell. And, you know, I, I guess I passed the test or whatever. And so that's how I started racing there. I was 26. I think that was... 2006 is when it was when I started and uh, it was tough. I had no idea. You know what I mean? Like I'd been at the races my whole life, but I had never, like I said, I'd always been on the working or the, the racetrack side of it and not the racer side of it. And so, man, we, we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, I, I'd watched sprint cars my whole life, but I didn't have a clue how to work on one of them. Any, any of your dirt work that you'd already done, the stuff you learned how to yeah. do it? Did, did that transfer when it actually started driving? Because you was talking earlier about yeah. you like to have two lanes. Right, right. So you knew why that was there. Did that sure. help, help you? And, you know, later on it did. Later on, as I got, you know, I gained some experience. And because like the first, man, well, to start out, my, my grandpa made me start on the back. It didn't matter. So like at the beginning of the night, you draw in, like you draw a number and that determines where you're going to line up in your qualifying race. And then. The finish of your qualifying race determines where you start in the main race of the, you know, the main event race of the night. So didn't matter what number I drew in the qualifying race, I, I had to start on the back. And then wherever I finished in that qualifying race, didn't matter. I was starting on the back of the, the A feature, you know, uh, every night also. So and that helped me a lot. I mean, I hated it at first, but it, it was the biggest help for me. I learned how to drive my car and I did this for a year and a half, like half a season. When I started that year, that first year that I started racing, like it was mid-summer probably when we started maybe. Uh, it, it seemed like it was later on in the year anyway. We did it that year and the whole next year I had to do that too, start on the back every time. But like I said, it helped me out a lot. I, uh, I learned how to drive my car. I learned how to pass cars. And, you know, I was constantly chasing, constantly chasing. I think, you know, I know it, it was beneficial to me, especially in the long run, you know, and then, but yeah, I like to answer your question over the more experience I gained, the more I kind of learned how to look and read, I guess, maybe what the track was doing or, or what way it was going, you know, or what line where on the racetrack was still had moisture and was going to be faster than, than another, you know, area or, or whatever on the racetrack. So, you know, it, it did help me, I would say, yeah, later on. Um, but like at first, I mean, it was a shit show. I'll just be honest. It was, you know what I mean? Like we, me, I didn't until, you know, until that last race of the night was over, the, the A feature was over, but you know, like my, my crew guys, if you will, my crew, uh, air quotes, 
like they were drinking beer as soon as we rolled through the gate. You know what I mean? It's like it was party time. The good and old days. Huh? It was, you know. Uh, and w- one weekend we got a keg. And we had a keg in the back of the pickup in the pits, just drinking beer out of the keg. And, you know, just, it was a great time. It was fun. But, you know, my so, grandpa was like, hey, man, uh, and I didn't really know what I was doing. So uh, when I would get a little bit of courage or whatever, I would tear some shit up. Man, I tore up so much shit when I started out racing. Like My grandpa was like, hey, man, uh, if you don't, you know, if you don't slow down on some of this parts and stuff that we're going through, uh, we're going to park that thing for a little while because, I mean, we're not getting anywhere. And, and if you had any idea of the amount of money that we're spending. And so I got better, you know, I did. Uh, it took a while. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it was like maybe 2011 or 12. I don't know. Maybe that that I won my first race. And then I think in 2016, I won 10 races and won the championship that year. Okay. Uh, and so it, it got better. You know, I mean, we got really, we were really good there for a while. 2016, like I said, that was a pretty good year for me. Um, Just had to let off the keg parties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my crew guys. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was just, you know, we were all young. We didn't, nobody knew what, we we're all shooting from the hip. Nobody knew what we were doing. And, and, you know, we did, uh, we found a, an older guy and his son that, that I still, they still race for me. They still come to Lawton, uh, and race every weekend. And they helped us out a lot. Uh, Glenn and Gary Owens, they, uh, they're from Paul's Valley and, and his dad, Glenn, he said, look, I'll help you. They pitted right next to us. And he said, look, I'll help you. But if I'm going to help you, you're just going to listen to me and you're not going to go down there up and down the pit and asking eight or nine guys different, you know, what are we going to do? What are we supposed to do? I'll help you, but I, whatever I tell you is what we're going to do. And so, you know, I believed in him or whatever, however you want to say it. I, and he helped me out a lot. He, he just, he taught me so much about working on the car and setting the car up and driving the car stuff that I had no idea about. Cause I'd never done that before. You know, I'd never, never raced until I was 26. And so he helped me out a ton, him and his son, Gary. And, um, like I said, they, they were at Lawton Speedway last night racing and I still talk to them, you know, all the time. And so right. they were a big help to me as far as like, just me going around the track, getting faster and getting better and not tearing, tearing up near as much shit. And, you know, that was a, they were a big help. And, and like I said, so that we, things got better. We got better and, and, you know, 10 years, this is like 12 total, 11 and a half years I raced, but I never, I didn't sell none of my stuff. I still got all my stuff. And now Parker's, my son, Parker's, I put him in it four or five times this year. And I guess I'm pretty much the only thing holding him back, I guess. You know, I mean, what do you mean? I didn't understand like the whole, my grandparents not wanting us to race when I was growing up. I didn't get any of that, you know, and, and couldn't understand why they were so against it. I mean, so what? I had jobs at the racetrack or whatever because surely we could find somebody else. Which you know, we did find somebody else to, to do that work when when I was racing finally. But anyway, I just didn't understand why they didn't want me racing. You know, why that was such a big deal, or me or my cousin. And the first time I watched Parker, you know, first time he took off in that sprint car, it was like, oh, I, I get, I understand now why. I mean, it was some of the most gut wrenching, terrifying. I don't know, man, watching your own child. I guess I just felt like he was going way too fast you know way faster than he needed to be going and and it you know watching your own child do something that i guess could hurt him or whatever is let me show you a uh a picture uh that i sent some of the coaches the other day 
And basically, uh, Dax has always been good at driving shit, man. Yeah. Ever since he was little, his grandpa got him a outlaw four wheeler, but it was an electric one. But yeah. it was quick. I mean, it was got twelve miles sure. an hour, right? And mm-hmm. this and Dax is little bitty, like he's like maybe one or two, and he's driving it up. And yeah. like, I can remember this kid squirreling, looking at birds, and running the fence and shit. You yeah, know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. I tell you. But I can understand what scares you. But here's the picture I was saying. This is Dax the other day. Oh, shit. As soon as I show you, of course, I click off of it. Oh, you're driving the car. Yeah, he drove the to town to yeah. football practice. <laughs> yeah. Right <laughs> on. But I trust him, though. I, sure. I, th- I think he'd be good, but I know that, that cringe feeling, right? And, yes. And this is totally different, but but I, I think you can relate to this as well. The fucking trampoline event. Yeah. The, the gym. Absolutely. That scares the Absolutely. shit Absolutely. Scares the I'm shit the guy sitting there in the bleachers or whatever, and I'm like, ah, ah. <laughs> You know, and Rachel's like, what, what? And I'm like, did you see that? Oh, my God, he about ate it. He about crushed his face. Yes. Or she just about ate shit off that. Well, yeah. man, it, it is. Uh, There's nothing in me that tells me that if shit goes bad, it can go really bad on that fucking trampoline. Because some of them kids, are, I mean, they're oh, almost touching the ceiling. They're bro. so high. I mean, so high. They bounce so hard and they flip. And it's just like, oh, man, it, yes. I can totally relate. It's the same deal. I feel the same way when I was watching Parker go around there, you know. Uh I tell you something funny though. My dad, I was two two years old for Christmas. My dad got me a um, Yamaha YZ50. It was a Y Zinger, so it was a motorcycle, and I started riding that thing. That's back in the them suckers would scoot. Yeah, so this was eighty. This was eighty. I was born in eighty one. Actually, I was. I got it for Christmas, and I was two. My birthday is January 2nd, so I was fixing to turn three, I guess, So when I got the thing. But anyway, I started riding that thing when I was three years old. And uh, we lived in Elgin, uh, right by the old water tower. My grandma lived right there also. I lived a block away from my grandma and grandpa. And so I rode that motorcycle, and I mean, I did. I rode it up trees. I ran it into the side of cars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. We had a, a basketball, wooden basketball goal post in our backyard. I ran into that one. We had a clothesline. I about cut my head off all on that little motorcycle that my dad got for me for Christmas. And, and my grandma and boy, she just could not understand why he thought I needed that motorcycle and why uh, he bought it for me. And because I, I did, I, I wiped out and I hurt myself. On I mean, I didn't break no bones or anything, but you know, just being a kid and my grandma, she just she'd get so aggravated at my dad. But you know, that was. Um, there wasn't no kill switches on them things back now, in the day. Now they got the remote kill switch. Yeah, no, there was nothing like that. And Stop! Yeah, that was the kill switch. That was it. Right? <laughs> and uh, I mean, I can like, we had a tree in Elgin where we lived. My neighbors actually live right next door to us. There, they had this like this net wrapping around some of their trees, and I can't remember why or what the guy had it around there for, but it was like this netting kind of wrap that he had around the bottom of the trees, and I hung the handlebar i was going around the trees like i had this own little track there you know in my front yard and part of his yard too and i was going around there and uh, i hung the left left side of that handlebar on one of them pieces of netting dude and it grabbed a hold of that handlebar and i didn't stop that motorcycle did i never will forget that it slammed my head. i had a helmet on man it slammed my head on the ground and the old man lived next door to us there it was his trees he was watching me he was sitting on his front porch watching me he come walking out there shaking his head and picked me up off the ground and kind of dusted me off and put me back on that motorcycle and i took off riding again but you know just <laughs> i can just remember stuff like that even when i was a, a little little guy uh, you know so i kind of always wanted to i guess i you know race 
and then being at the racetrack every weekend, you know, and then I finally got to when I was 26 years old. Um, it was some good times. I had some, we had some great times racing. Well, you talked about some of the, the craps you were in when you was little. Uh, when you get older and you actually started racing, like what's uh, the worst crash you was in? Um, or a few crashes. Yeah, I, like I said, I tore up a lot of stuff there at the beginning. And then I never really like, I didn't have to go to the hospital or anything. I never, um, I broke some teeth. Um, hurt my back uh, once when I flipped. It was all the same flip. Broke broke two teeth in the back of my mouth. Then I started wearing a mouthpiece, like, just like a little mouthpiece. I, I would uh, put that in when I was racing just to bite down on so I didn't break my teeth anymore. Bit my tongue really bad that time also. Um, just I never, like I said, I never broke any bones. Just pretty much bruised um, concussion. I had a couple of concussions um, and, you know, like bruised knees and, and shit like that, I guess. How did the, when, when you, when you broke your, you said it was your back teeth? Yeah. Would you just flipped? Yeah, I was flipping. And like, um, like when I, when, when I started to flip, I just let go of the steering wheel and, and kind of grabbed my seat belts, like just immediate reaction. Um, Is that what go, you're supposed to do? Yeah. Or? If okay. you hang on that steering wheel, man, it, it'll, It'll like uh, when front wheels hit something, it'll jerk the steering wheel and it'll break your thumbs. It'll break your wrist. You know what I mean? If you're hanging on to that thing real tight and it slams, it jerks it, 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 you know, you can break your thumbs, your wrist, your hand or whatever. So the like the thing to do is just to let go of that steering wheel and kind of X your arms across your chest, you know? And so that's what I was doing. I mean, I just went like, you know, clenched my arms across my chest as it's flipping, bang, you know, it's hitting in end over end I, I was just biting clenching my jaw i guess and at some point i bit my tongue and broke a couple of teeth in the back of my mouth well I, I did a long story short i was in where i shouldn't have been and i got hit in the back of the head with a bottle yeah but my like that like that but yeah. it 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 broke my top tooth but it was uh my wisdom teeth so since yeah. they pulled the top one they had uh-huh. to pull the bottom one uh-huh. yeah and then uh the army and their and their knowledge once i got to fort seal they said well you've already had one side removed so you had that side so we might as well do the other one i said yeah but i got hit in the back of the head with a bottle right you know, they said, i didn't no, no, voluntarily <laughs> have it i don't <laughs> have it. yeah that was one of the worst times of my life too when i had my boy wisdom teeth cut out god bless america that was bad i gotta you know should i got a dry socket and all that shit man it was, it was pretty brutal Oh yeah, so I got lucky, and uh, I got lucky because that's one thing they was like, "Look, you know, I don't, want, I won't tell you this, but I want you to realize I have a pre uh, idea about the person you are." So I'm assuming you was downtown partying when this happened. Oh right? yeah. So you can't be partying with this because you will get dry socket. And yeah. Trust me. Yeah. If you get dry socket, you're gonna hate me yeah. and everybody else in this world for a long time. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's exactly same deal. Uh, that was the worst. That's the worst thing ever. Mine, you know, mine, it wasn't anything I did when I went back after like the two or three days, you go back and they repack them, you know, or whatever. You yeah. Know? So I go back to have it repacked. I can't remember left or right bottom. Anyway, I go back to have it repacked and the lady doing it, she didn't get all the packing out the first time. So she put new packing in on old packing. Ooh. And I, I didn't think it was right. You know, I mean, I, I didn't think, I don't know. I just felt like something's not right about this, right? When I leave their office and within an hour, or maybe not even that long, dude, it was so, it was hurting. I mean, it was mm. fucking throbbing, you know, and I was like, something's not right about this. And I think that was on like a Friday. So I tough it out until Monday because they're closed. And I go back Monday morning. I'm like, something's not right, man. 
And so the actual oral surgeon guy, he, he goes, hold still. And he gets his tweezers or whatever, and he reaches off back in there in my mouth, and he starts pulling. He pulls this first piece of packing out, and he's like, oh. And he, he's like, hold real still. And, of course, it's hurting so bad. He reaches in there, and he grabs a hold of something. I can feel it, man. It felt like it come like out of the bottom of my foot. He pulls that piece of packing out of my jaw, and uh, it was like, oh, my God. It felt you know like the pressure release was unbelievable. And he was like, I'm sorry. I got to, I had to do that. I just got to tell you, uh, this is on us. She didn't get all the packing out when she repacked it. And so that's, that's what, you know, that's what the pain right, was hurting you so bad. And anyway, it turned out to be okay, but God bless, man, not to get off subject, but wisdom teeth. I, I don't wish that on anybody. That was, whew. no, and I mean, what I, I got, I got really lucky though. Like they took everything out and I was still stupid. You know, I still went out and did what I did, but yeah. I just, I just got lucky, man. Matter of fact, uh, who was I? I had a podcast. I think it was the who was it was Buzz, the firefighter, when he was on here. I was talking to him about some of the Air Force guys that, that I used to hang out with. And yeah. these dudes is wild. But I, so I come from the hospital there, had a prescription of Percocets. Yeah, and I was like, a you know what? I don't need them. Everything's good, you know. I got a family history of this shit. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need them. Gave them to him. And I instantly like they started hurting. Like my my shit was hurting. I, I never got them back. He what he liked to do though was he would get uh, he would get Adderall and Percocets and mix them together. Is what he would do. Uh-huh. He called oh. it Elvising. Oh, all right, cool, bro. Take them. I don't want the motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I but, never uh, Elvis. Huh. Yeah, he was he was doing well. He was a wild dude, man. Yeah. Wild dude. This dude. He was on an autobahn in Germany, had a blowout, right? He swears up and down. He told me that he was not drinking before the blowout, but he had a bottle of vodka in the ride. So the he yeah. by the time the polls I get there, he's fucking tuned up. Oh, because he just sitting out there just drinking. Hanging. He called his boys. Drinking. Hey, I can't go nowhere. Yeah. Polls I got there. Yeah, he got busted for that. Wow. Yeah, he got busted for that. I mean in I believe him, just because he there ain't no reason to lie to me. I was right. I was lower ranked than he was at the time, you know. Right. Uh but it's still a funny ass story, though. Yeah, <laughs> so, it is. <laughs> Crash your car and uh, yeah. So, so I feel like that's something that people would do, though. Well, shit, I can't go nowhere. I'm I got have, this alcohol yeah, here. Let's have a drink, right? Until <laughs> then, the police show up and because like, I can't oh, drive. Shit, yeah. <laughs> I swear I wasn't drinking before. I mean, I might have to edit all that shit out. <laughs> I know. Right? We got off on the weeds there. Yeah, we was we was they was talking about uh fucking taking pills, taking pills and, and uh, wisdom teeth, boy. I tell you, that, that was a, that was a yeah, even for Rachel, man. That was a worst a, a bad few days there when I got my wisdom teeth. I don't do like shit like that real well anyway. You know, like I have to get uh, nitrous oxide when I have my teeth cleaned at the dentist. Really? Yeah, I got a real big anxiety with the dentist, man. Real big. Yeah, and like. Uh, I didn't go to the dentist for a while. My teeth are great now because I I got them all fixed, you know. But and um, and now when I go back to get my teeth cleaned, they just put me on that gas every time. So you know it's it's all good. But yeah, I had to do the sleep sedation dentistry, like to get all my shit straight and fixed. So I went to the dude in Chickasha, and they just knock you out and did like four different appointments. You know, one top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right, and. and yeah. Dude, man, I I don't I'm not I don't want to shit on the dude because he's not there no more. He's retired. How can I say I was out shitting on him so nobody knows what I'm talking about? But anyway, there was a dentist within driving distance from here, right? Yeah. And so 
he was the first one I got a chance to to pick my dentist, and yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna support this community, right? Yeah. And uh, man, he was old school, bro. Yeah. Like he didn't put the mouth guards in there. He just chipping your shit away. Yeah. And 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 like I I got it. I mean, that's anxiety in itself to sit. Oh like God. You said, the and sound the, of that drill or anything, oh, man, I'm out. And he's not he, he's not getting no pieces out or no. nothing. He didn't I know, give a yeah. fuck. So that guy was my dad's dentist, too. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, and that's why I had, I think, such bad anxiety with the dentist is because when I was a kid, uh, the dentist I went to in Lawton, it was like, I mean, I ended up having to get strapped to the chair. I punched him in the face. Yeah. I, yeah. My dentist, when I was, I don't know, six or seven years old, I mean, I right hooked him straight across that. Yeah. So I think that's why I had, you know, such anxiety about the dentist, maybe. I don't know. But now it's, you know, it's all good now. But yeah, I go to, uh, what's it, the, uh, what, Bridges? Yeah. They're in, uh, in Lawton. Yeah. That dude, it's, dude, I, you know, sometimes here's one thing I hate about the uh, people, the military, right? People's like, oh, this is military grade. All that means in reality is it was the person that was willing to do it for the lowest amount. Right. So when the military sends you to a dentist, yep. sometimes, you know, it's just, it, they don't care. Right. Because it's cheaper for them. Their bedside manners or whatever. Yeah, it's just get, sit down and let's get it done. And I went to the place in Lawton there and uh, I, was, I told Heather, I was like, because I told Heather, well, the way the military dental insurance is set up yeah. differently, you have to pay for that. Everything else we can, the they, they cover, cover but dentists, they don't. So I told Heather, I was like, this is Which is crazy, right? I mean, it's such a vital part of your life, your teeth. It's, it's so like your hygiene and, and everything is like all yeah. based around your mouth. But I, I, yeah, I think, but they, they know there's a lot of assholes out there that just drink sodas all day. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, come on, this is preventable. I guess that's true. I don't know, man. Some people have bad teeth, right? You're just born with that shit. No, some people are, dude. I've known, I've had a few friends growing up. They just had bad, bad teeth. Bad teeth. They just yeah. break or whatever, you know. Yeah, know. they wouldn't crack heads either at two. Right, you know? right. Yeah. No, just normal. They're just losing their teeth, bro. Yeah. High fluoride content in the water or something, right? Like, what the fuck? Well, shit, man. Back to this racing yeah. stuff, bro. Uh, so, uh, we was talking about one of the wrecks you've been in. Yeah. Uh, and, and you talked about... And you, you covered a lot of the questions that I had or that I wanted to talk about, sure. you know, like mentors and stuff like that yeah. uh, and stuff you did wrong, you know. Uh, yeah. But but besides the keg party, yeah. Uh, what's one thing that a mentor had come to you and said, look, man, we can do this, right? Yeah. But you got to stop this or you're going to get hurt really bad. Yeah. Um, driving over my head was the main thing. Once I kind of got, um, I would say like once I got the sack, big enough sack to haul it off in the corner and not lift. Like, so in your qualifying race, a lot of times the racetrack's really wet, you know, he's got a lot of grip in it. And so uh, you can run around there basically wide open, like hold it on the floor, right? And you kind of just drag the brake to turn the car in the corner. So once I got enough balls to do that, well, then I thought, oh, okay, now I'm, I can really get this done. And so I started like um, driving over my head. And what I mean by that is like coming up on a car and, you know, just like diving underneath them and there's not room there to do that. Or you're really putting them in a position where they got to get on the brakes, you know, or to, you know, they're going to get crashed. So that was one of the main things, you know, it was like, Hey, just cause you got the, you know, just cause your car's going fast. Don't mean you got the whole driving part of it figured out yet and you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else. You're already tearing up a lot of shit. You don't need to tear up anymore. So you need to slow down a little bit. 
not so much slow down the car, but just kind of slow down my uh, maybe my approach or, you know, my aggressiveness, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, there's a it's not a real fine line. I would say it's a wider line of like being aggressive and then driving like a complete shit show. You know what I mean? Because um, you can be really aggressive and never touch anybody and, and really never put anybody in a bad position. You're just your car's fast. And so you're putting it there, but you're, you know, you're not really putting anybody else in danger to where I was like thinking my car was fast and I could put it there and basically making them, you know, have to check up, get on the brakes or whatever. And and so you do that very many times. And the old guys are the guys that know what's going on. Instead of checking up, they'll just hook your bumper and turn you right over. You know, there's some of those guys, they have such good car control that, they can make your night like really bad, really fast. If, uh, if you do them dirty or, or drive them wrong, you know, drive them dirty or, or whatever the case may be, man, they can, they can end your night really quick. Um, and make it look like, you know, they barely touched you or, or it was your fault, you know, like you got loose and, and they didn't have nowhere to go. I mean, it's just, so yeah, that was the main thing. It was like, look, you, you're driving way over your head. And so you, you need to cut that shit out or we'll assist you and cutting it out right so how big of a problem look how big of a problem is that uh in the community number one and number two is what's the biggest problem you ran into when it comes to that in the fender cars if you will the stock cars you have it more so to where it it can be like a um a week not where it rolls over right so it's not just a one-night deal or whatever like when you get into open wheel cars or sprint cars and midgets and stuff like that you can't, they're not designed to touch anything, right? Because they're open. Right. there's no fenders, there's no, yeah, you. you know, so the tires are just open. And anytime you touch anything, man, it's, it usually ends up really bad. And so that's, that's kind of the equalizer, if you will, uh, in a sprint cars and midgets is that they're not designed to run into anything. And so when you do run them into something, your shit gets tore up and whoever else you run into gets tore up. And so, you know, that kind of, um, keeps it in check, if you will. Um, you still have it, you know what I mean? You still have guys that get mad, you know, you're racing, it's, uh, it's a battle, right? You know, in your competition. And so you still, you still have it, but it's just not to the level or maybe it doesn't happen so often as often as it does, like maybe in, in the fender cars or, um, classes like that to where they do beat and bang off of each other. Um, and so that can, you know, you do that enough, then it escalates into I'm mad at him. He's you know fist fights. How many yeah. fist fights have you been into over this shit? <laughs> <laughs> I have been. I have been into a couple of them. Uh, going back to when I uh, I had my wisdom teeth cut out, and so I had to sit out for two weeks. Right, I couldn't race, and um, my cousin's husband, one of my other cousins, were all involved in this racing deal. <laughs> yeah. So Man, her, is, yeah, man. her husband is also racing a sprint car, and he's on the track at this time. And we're sitting in the stands watching him race, and this guy um, that we raced against for years and kicked our ass for years. I mean, steadily kicked our ass week in and week out. He's out there racing also, and and um, my cousin's husband, and him, they kind of been having issues or whatever. Well, anyway, <clears throat> they get into each other on the racetrack right there, going into turn one. They spin out. And uh, 
Sean, he tips over my, my cousin's husband, Sean, he tips over. And, uh, so like I said, we're sitting in the stands and, uh, next thing, you know, me and three or four buddies that are on my crew, we're in the infield and the fight's on like playing ball. We done, we done, (laughs) I tried to climb the fence, right? I'm trying to climb over the fence to get to the, to the racetrack. And so, but there's a gate probably 60 or 80 foot, you know, down the fence line there that I could have just went to and, and went through the gate. But anyway, which is what I ended up doing finally after I decided I wasn't going to climb over that fence. <laughs> it's like 12 foot tall. You know what I mean? We got a big tall chain link fence there that, you know, so no cars can. Is it one of the prison ones too? That has no, the, the it, so we don't have the barbed wire or the angle on it or anything, but, um, you know, it's, I say it's 12 foot. It's way taller than, than me. And, uh, so anyway, I ended up going through the gate and, uh, yeah, right there in the infield, man. Uh, I don't know how many people were in this fight, but there was a herd. I mean, yeah. it got pretty Western right there. And the guy that, that, um, Sean was racing against, uh, him, you know, they got into each other or whatever, man, he took some lumps. I mean, which, yeah. He got the worst end of it, really. But anyway, you know, now I tell him, too, like now I'm the I'm the race director, air quotes, if you will, at Lawton Speedway. So I talk to all the race car drivers. We have a one way communication system to where they have an earpiece in their uh, in their ear with a uh, little one way radio. So I talk to them. We use it for lineups. My scorekeeper can can talk to them also. She'll tell them where to line up if we have a caution or whatever. And and. And then I have the ability to talk to them as well, you know, and so, um, which has made a world of difference in the racing industry, having that, being able to talk to a race car driver when he's in the car and tell him what, what he needs to do is even with lineups is huge. But, um, I had this great idea for like a fundraiser, right? Yeah. Uh, but ultimately I decided it couldn't be done because it would cost somebody way too much money. And my idea was, was to get school coaches, right? Yeah. And do a race, right? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there's a place out there by Goodyear where they have the, yeah. the little circle track. Sure. You can do that and also sure. have go-karts and yeah. stuff. I was thinking about uh, I was thinking about that, but on a bigger scale. Right. And then I was like, man, this would be awesome, man. Like, because you would have kids, you know, you know, betting. That, that's how you'd have to raise money. Like, I'm my, my teacher, my coach is going to do this. You yeah. know, he's going to win. Right. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, I was like, no, because there's some competitive bastards in there. They will sure. burn some shit up. Yeah. And I and what made me thought of that think of that is is what you were saying about you tore a lot of shit up yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We and, have a uh, uh, we have a class. We co- it's a tuner. We call it the tuner class, right? So it's a four cylinder class, front wheel drive car. And basically, you get like a Honda Accord or a whatever, and you knock the windows out of it. You got to get a roll cage in it, and uh, but it's like stock, stock suspension, stock tires wheels everything and uh we race those and so they're supposed to be like an entry level you know beginner if you will and some of them guys man they go so fast in these tuners they pick the left rear wheel and tire up off the ground when they go in the corners because it gets over on the right front so hard because it's a front wheel drive car yeah and uh i mean they'll pick the left rear up Two, two foot off the ground going in the corner and it'll be just on the chip, da, 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 you know, just on the rev limiter. And, uh, man, they're, they're wild. You know, these guys, it's just like you said, though, the competition of it doesn't matter. You can put them in pedal cars and it's, it's still gonna, still gonna get to that. You know what I mean? Like 
to man all the, the it's just competition that you know even in the entry level class it's just you just can't you know you can't contain that i guess right no you can't i think competitions is, is uh, competitions a hell of a drug yeah okay, so absolutely it's is a hell of a drug you know and i think like for example you know like if if you put all the football coaches in race cars, right? Yeah, they're 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 all on the same team until they step in them cars and they're trying to win. Absolutely, guarantee, absolutely. Guarantee them kids, them them dudes are trying to win. Yeah, you know, uh, Cody, I man, they are. I know Cody, competitive. Cody, you know, <laughs> Cody's I mean, gonna try to win that. That's alpha I mean, male ego. You know, it's like dude, it's, we was we was at the lunch another day, bro, and they and they was talking about uh some game that. They was playing in golf on the phone, talking about winning that shit. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what the everything, f- right? These Every- are the guys I need to be around right here, bro. You everything, know I mean? you know, we're competing <laughs> on everything. You bet. And and like you said, there is something to say about you know the the adrenaline rush. I mean, there's nothing, you know, not many things like that. I should say that like the feeling you get, you know, in that race car, because uh, once you get in there and and you know you put your helmet on and stuff, and they push you and, and you start it, you don't think about anything else. The- nothing. And so, you know, for like 15 or 20 minutes there that you're in the race car, that's all, you know, you just think about that. You just think about racing that car. You don't think about anything else. And so even just that escape right there could be enough, you know, to, to keep you coming back. Not to mention the rush you get, the feeling from, you know, running around there in that thing, hauling ass, holding it on the floor, dragging the brake. You know, I like to talk, uh, I, I talk a lot about, you know, mental health and stuff. You know, one, one of the things that intrigues me, I should say, is, wild people right yeah and what i mean by that is you know just that person that's always doing something right so if you're racing cars for a living right 100 percent of the time so you're going 100 miles an hour all yeah. the time it's yeah. this and that you're worried about everything else how does how does that affect you when stuff slows down is, does that have anything to do in your anxiety because it, yeah it does i would me. say it does me for sure you know i um i i just haven't i'm not a sitter i don't know how you say this i just i don't sit in one spot very well for very long. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess I, I seem to need to move and do something. Um, like the car rides are tough for me. Long car rides, I guess I should say. North Carolina was a rough Oh, one, man. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, man. I, so I had to bell on y'all, dog. <laughs> yeah. I know. We were like fixing to leave, and Rachel's like, Yeah, Derek's not. He's not going. He's staying here. And I'm like, Say what? That was and, an option? No. <laughs> huh? He's really not, huh? She was like, no, no, he's not going. I'm like, okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, that, that has, I think that has something to say about, you know, like you said about um, like going or, or driving a race car or whatever, you know, when, when things slow down, um, it could have a, an effect on you, you know, or on me, I guess I should say. Do you ever feel like, uh, cause I know, I know in my case, uh, do you ever feel like you thrive better when it's chaotic, like in chaos? Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. I feel like, especially maybe at the racetrack, um, you know, especially on like Saturdays on race days or whatever things. And and if something's going to break, it, it will happen on Saturday, right, when you are needing to use it, whatever the equipment, whether it be a piece of equipment, a tractor, a water line, a faucet, uh, a push truck, whatever it may be, it's going to break down on Saturday when you really need it the most, you know? And so, um, and that's happened this year. It's happened, you know, like I've only been doing like the race director deal for a couple of years. So like, uh, I raced up until 
2018, I think was the last, well, 2017 was the last year I raced, I believe. And then, so, because I could just see like, um, I felt like we needed somebody in the position, um, race director, pit steward, whatever you want to call it, that gave a shit about the outcome of the Lawton Speedway itself, or, you know, that cared about like the Lawton Speedway doing better. You know what I mean? Like, so I guess what I'm saying is like, it's my family's business. So I gave a shit about it. Right. And so the person in that position, the decisions he makes are ultimately going to reflect on the Lawton Speedway itself. You know what I mean? Because you're deciding um, if a driver gets a rough driving penalty or gets a, a two week suspension or, you know, things like that. That's, you know, your decision, I guess, if you will, um, as the race director. And so, you know, the decisions you make can affect a lot in, or the racetrack, the lot in speedway, whatever, because, you know, you make the wrong decision, the wrong call. You start pissing people off, then they don't come back to your racetrack to race anymore. And it's bad for business. So I felt like we needed somebody in that position that maybe would be good for business or better for business or at least gave a shit about the business. And so that's when I was like, I think, you know, I think I'll step back here, quit racing and and go that route, you know, go back to the the other side of it, if you will. And so that's kind of where I kept, like I said, I kept all my racing stuff. I kept my car, everything that, you know, I've got is still in my shop. And so Parker, my son, he's wanting to race. And I didn't want to hold him back, not give him that opportunity if I could give him the opportunity. Do you and make so, him start in the back? Well, so <laughs> what we've what done. I need to know. I need up to know. In, yeah, he will. Up until this point, we've done either Sunday afternoons or Saturday night after the races are over. I put him out there by himself right. with no other cars, you know. Just making practice laps, if you will. Pretty much simulating racetrack conditions, surface conditions of what the sprint cars just got done racing on. And so I've been putting him out there and making so many laps just by itself. And so then next will be like the last time we did it two or three weeks ago when he made made laps. He made about 25 or so laps without spinning out or messing up or anything. And I told him, you know, I was like, look, you at least got to be able to make 20 laps because at the end of the night, the last race you run, your A feature is 20 laps at least. So you got to be able to make 20 laps without spinning out or messing up on your own. Somebody else causes that. We don't, you know, we can't control that right now, but for now, this is what we need to do. And he did, he made it no problem. And like I said, it was going way faster than I thought he needed to be going and, you know, kind of made me a nervous wreck. But on the other side of it, he did really good. And, um, so I would say, I guess I'm kind of the one that's holding him back, if you will. I haven't put him out there with other cars yet to, to drive or to race. But yeah, to answer your question, he's going to start in the back just like I did when he does get out there. And, you know, we'll do that for probably the whole season, right? You know, um, we only got three races left in this season. So I don't, I don't see him. I don't know. I don't see him getting out there and racing this year. I kind of just planned on maybe next year letting him at the beginning of the season have at it you know we'll uh we'll have quite a few more practice days between now and then if you will on sundays or whatever the case may be so that he can make laps and you know just get more and more comfortable in the car and then next year maybe we'll start putting him out there with other cars you know starting in the back and letting him start race that way kind of like i did you know i, I feel like that's the best way to go about it 
instead of just throwing him out there to the sharks, you know. And you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was you feel like you're holding your kid back at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give somebody starting off? Yeah, I, I would say like um, at our track at Lawton, uh, like I said, we have an entry level class, if you will, the tuners. So they're the four cylinder class. They're a little bit slower sometimes than than the other ones, you know. And so that's that's a good starting point. I guess my advice would be to, you know, race in a class that you can afford to race in instead of maybe one that you really want to race in, but maybe not completely afford to, I guess. Um, How's the experience on that going to light up, though? Like, so well, it's it, yeah. like so. If you're in on a vehicle, right? Like yeah. the experience to, to me, it's like for example, with any youth sports, it's about the experience because it only matters at a certain age, right? So like winning, being winning, out there, yeah. being around other cars, and just just that part of it in general. That's the part of the confidence and the experience that will all help in years to come. You know, as they get older and they move up, if you will, in class or uh, get faster cars and stuff. You know, all that stuff will will benefit them and help. The way this car drives, transferring over to the way another car drives, there won't be a whole lot of you know stuff you can take from one to the other. But um, just the experience of being on a racetrack with other cars and stuff like that, that's that's beneficial in itself, you know, to to a young racer. Um, seat time is, you know, that, that's the critical factor, the, the deal. You know, the more seat time you have, the better off you're going to be. So that, that would probably be my second piece of advice is like get your kid as much seat time as possible, time in the car, whether it's on the track by themselves and then out there with other cars. Um, you know, I tell all the guys at Lawton, any of them that, that want to make extra laps, they can come out there on Sunday and make as many of them as they want. And nine times out of 10, the racetrack conditions will be almost identical to what they were the night before you know don't change that much just overnight and so you know they can come out there and make many laps as they want to get experience and I, so that and it's beneficial to do that um, and so you know that, that would be another piece of advice I would say is seat time get as much of it as you can whatever you're you know whatever car you're racing and whatever you're racing the more time doing it is beneficial you know you say your son's racing your car pretty much right? yeah so how does that work out so like when your son comes in you was talking about some of the old timers earlier yeah right? yeah do, do they are they going to race your kid different than they would if it was you in that vehicle at the start or starting out yeah they're probably all going to be cautious because they know he's a rookie yeah right uh and more than likely they're not going to like try to put him in a position to you know in a bad position i guess what i'm trying to say um just because he's a rookie but if you jump him back in that ride though they're gonna take advantage of it yeah it's cutthroat <laughs> i mean right, it's cutthroat racing then for sure yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I did you know last year uh we have a, a race in october we, we call it our winter nationals it's a friday night and saturday night two-day show that we have every year and uh so saturday night i decided i was going to race my car uh i didn't run it in the qualifying race i just said i'll start on the very back of the a feature at the end of the night and so um i like i said i felt like i was starting racing all over again i'm starting at the very back um and so i you know i made it the full 20 laps and i didn't spin out and i didn't hit nobody or tear anybody's stuff up i think i passed two cars maybe two or three cars i can't remember but just being out of it for that short amount of time 2018 until now or whatever you think you're going so fast i thought i was going so fast you know but i wasn't really you just you lose the edge i guess if you will the sense of speed or you think you're going really fast when you haven't been in it for a while when you're really not and the guys that that have been in the car they're really going fast it was kind of like an eye-opening deal 
whatever, I was wore out when the, when the 20 laps were over. Another thing, like, so since Parker's been doing this, like the first time I put him in it, he did really good, but he made it, I don't know, 10 or 12 laps maybe. And uh, he spun out a couple of times. He spun out maybe the third time and I pulled over there to where he was at. I went to get him ready to push start him again and walked up to the side of the car and I said, are you okay? Everything all right? You know, and he flipped his visor up and sweat was pouring down his face and he was a huffing and a puffing. He was like, I think that's probably good for, for today, you know? And uh, so he kind of learned, I guess, real quick that it's a little bit of work, yeah. if you will. You know what I mean? Like he was sweating his ass off in there, sawing on that wheel, you know, like to watch him race. It looks, you know, it looks awesome. It's, but when you're in there, there's a lot more work involved yeah. with your arms and your feet, both use both feet, you know, brake and the gas at, at the same time. And so there's just a lot, you know. Uh, you said the brake and the gas at the same time? Yeah. What do you mean by that? So you just use both, both of them to, I don't know what, what to steer the car. You know what I mean? Or to like, it's like you run it, run it off in the corner. You, you'll ride the brake, but you'll also be on the gas. You know what I mean? You want to keep the car loaded. You want to keep the suspension loaded on it. Okay. Uh, I got you. So you don't want to just like run it off down there and then just lift out of the gas completely and you'll upset the, you know, un- upset the car. It won't work for you. There's a way that, you know, they're designed to be, they're torsion bar cars. So they're designed to be on the bars, on the torsion bars, which you want to be on the gas. That's what pushes the tires down and loads the torsion yeah. bars. And so you want to be on the gas, but you can't just be on the gas all the time. You've got to, you've got to wove the car down, get it turned or what, what have you. So you got to be on the brake too. You got to use both feet and the guys that can use both feet are good. They're the, they're the better ones. You know what I mean? Barely moving the wheel. The car almost drive around the track for you. I, mean, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but it, it works that way. But when it starts, to slick off and you don't have all that grip in the racetrack, then your feet, you know, you, the driver has a lot more to do with the car hooking up and making speed and going fast when the track gets slick because, you know, his two feet determine that a lot of that, right? How much gas he gives, you don't want to spin your tires, you know what I mean? So the guys that can can drive with both feet really good, they'll excel, they'll, you know, they'll be fast. You know, when it comes to racing, See, I just did the same thing you did earlier. I lost my train of thought, dude. I got lost in that. I was trying to just understand. that, right? Yeah, <laughs> just thinking about me talking about driving with both feet. Well, right? No, because I, I, I mean, because I think about that. I do because I, I know people that I, when my first duty station in Germany, I, I taught one of my best friends at the time how to drive a standard. Right? Sure. And and what the biggest thing I had to tell him it's just as much about letting off the clutch as it is pushing in the gas. Yeah. Right. You got to find that it's balance. in tandem here, right? Yeah. yeah. It, Almost it, in tandem in, in yeah, a way. Right? And and uh, once he figured that out. Yeah. He could drive up a hill. No shift problem. Up. Right? It, everything was good. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you talk about that and, and comes to, uh, you know, racing, to me, that makes sense. And patience. That's something I had to learn. Like I said, well, go. It's not just stomp the gas pedal and hang on, right? We're, it doesn't, you got to be patient, especially, like I said, when it gets slick. A guy that can, can work both feet and be patient will be usually faster. Because uh, the other guys, they're going to spin their tires. They're they're they get too aggressive, too, too heavy with the right foot. And when you spin your tires, as soon as you break the tires loose, you're going backwards, right? Yeah, right. can keep his tires from breaking loose. Because once you get them broke loose, then you got to get them woed all the way back down before you get back to the gas again. Right. So you know. That's the deal with, and then you use the brake to, to kind of help blow that down a little bit, keep that under control, keep the rear tires from spinning on you so much. That's a big, that's a key factor. The wing, you know, like sprint cars, they have this huge top wing on them and they have a smaller nose wing on the front. It's it's like an airplane wing that's turned upside down. So instead of creating lift, it creates downforce, a lot of downforce. Right. And so that's, you know, that's what, and so you'll have dirty air, like you'll be racing with somebody and you'll be behind them and going down the straightaway and they'll like say they're going to run the bottom. So they die 
dive down to the bottom, all of a sudden nobody's in front of you. You get in what they call dirty air, right? So you lose the front end of the, it makes your car real tight. It wants to push the nose. You can't turn it. And so that's another factor that you got to learn how to deal with and how to stay out of. And there's just a lot of shit going on, man. You know, that's kind of why I asked the question earlier about uh, if there was a, tr- a transition. So when you went from working the track yeah. to then driving on the track, yeah. you know, I feel like, I feel like that it would be an advantage. So now I'm back to working on the track again, you know, and so, <laughs> and so I kind of, you know, I see both sides of it. And so like, I'm, well, I mean, how does that work with your son though? Like when you're, when you're teaching your son or you're talking to him about racing and stuff, yeah. do, do you feel that in? Like, this is the reason why the track's this yeah. way and, and here's what you need to do. He's been, so Parker's kind of the same way. He's been at the racetrack ever since he was born also, you know, on Saturday nights. And this is like, so he had a, what they call a junior sprint and it's like a smaller version of my car, but it's got a lawnmower engine on the side of it. And he was like uh, five, six, seven years old. We had that and he raced it some. Uh, they had a winter series that we ran in Shawnee and Duncan and a couple other places around here. And they did it in the wintertime. Um, and so we hauled around and, and raced that deal a few times uh, when he was like six, seven, eight years old. And then, so after the junior sprint deal, then it goes to like a restrictor class. So it's a totally different car, bigger car, different motor. So it's got like a um, crotch rocket motorcycle motor, you know, on the side of it there. And so the cost goes up quite a bit from the junior sprint to the to the micro or the mini sprint, if you will. And uh, so when he got too big to run that junior sprint, instead of going and buying a restrictor or a micro, I said, let's just wait a couple of years and he'll be big enough to run this big sprint car and we'll just stick him in that, kind of like I did, right? Right. And so that's where we're at on the deal. But for like a normal or a regular or however you want to say it, racer to come up, I would say, you know, you like run the junior sprint and then you get a, a micro, a restricted micro. And then after the restrictor, they, you know, they take the restrictors out of the carburetors and you run the, the next class up. And then usually after that, they'll go to a big sprint car, you know, from a motorcycle, crotch rocket motor to a V8, if you will. Right. So that's um, like my sprint car has a V8 in it and the micros have crotch rocket motors in them. That's usually the normal progression, if you will, from, you know, from beginner uh, on up to to a sprint car. So my boy TJ, like like I said, his son's about seven or eight. So that's yeah. what he's doing. Pretty much, yeah, uh, yeah. He's probably in the restrictor, you know, in the restrictor deal now. Maybe you know. Yeah, I mean um, that's still crazy though. Oh, he's fast. I mean, like those restrictors, they're they're plenty plenty fast, um, and the technology and the. Chad should tell me about about you playing football. Like he said, he can remember you not being the biggest dude, but you was just a wild. Yeah, dude. yeah. you yeah. wasn't afraid to get out there right. and make contact with somebody. Right. You wasn't afraid to do it. Yeah. And one of the things that that I was talking about earlier, and I got sidetracked when I was talking about my son. You know, uh, I've always felt like he's been good at driving stuff, right? Yeah. What part of that? is natural ability versus learned ability. My example goes in with Dax is gymnastics, right? Yeah. I think gymnastics has made him a better uh, running back, a better wrestler. Sure. And I think that that could also help him be a better driver because it slows everything down. When you're out there doing flips, man, I can talk to Dax. Dax remembers what he sees as he's flipping. Sure. He sees that shit. If I I do a forward row, I'm fucking lost right now. My equilibrium's off. It's kind of like that, you know, like you're saying, he can remember all that stuff. Um, Everything kind of slows down. That's when you know, like, okay, I'm kind of getting better at this is when, like, when you're out there racing and it doesn't, you know, things slow down as far as, like, as they happen in front of you, I guess. You you know, you see things farther ahead of you and you're not in there just, like, panicking. Like breathing, that that's a big thing. Like you got to breathe. You you know, I can remember when I first started, I'd get in there, man, and like your qualifying race is eight laps long. If we had a caution five or six laps in, I can remember riding around under caution and being like, 
just like <laughs> suck and win because I hadn't taken a breath in five or six laps. Like as soon as they threw the green flag, I stopped breathing. I just hold my breath and steer, you know. Right. Well, then I got to where, okay, I, I, first I realized well, you got to breathe. I mean, because, uh, you know, if you don't breathe, your oxygen level goes way down and you really get winded. And so, you know, I was like, all right, you got to breathe. And, and so things slow down. Shit slows down. It doesn't happen as fast in front of you, you know, and you can see things and remember things. And, and so, you know, it, it um, kind of like get in the zone or whatever. And so you think there's a mass between. But like learned ability as far as like natural ability. Yeah. You know, I would have to say like, I feel like a lot of it is learned maybe because I didn't really know. I mean, like when you're, whenever you're driving something, driving a vehicle or whatever, you know, and you get on a gravel road and you feel the ass in sliding around, you know, and or on ice or whatever, you, you know, you get to where you oh, can kind of. Oh, shit. Right. right. <laughs> and, you know, you, you think, oh, I can control this. You know, I, I got this, right? You yeah. know, I mean, I guess that would maybe be some sort of natural ability. But I tell you what, something that was beneficial to me, you know, like those guys I was telling you about earlier, Gary and, and Glenn Owens that, that helped me out a lot. The driver, Gary, uh, Glenn's son. He told me like when I first started, he was like, look, man, you drive these things with your ass. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you sit in that seat. Whatever your hips are doing, that's what you need to feel that. So like if you're, if you feel like your right hip is way out sideways, right? That means your car is sideways and you're sliding, you're spinning, right? You turn sideways. He said, you, you'll feel it. Everything you need to know is right in your hips and your ass. You'll feel it in the seat, you know, and that once I, he told me that. And then from then on, it just kind of started clicking. I'm like, okay, I could tell what my car was doing by how my ass was sliding around in the seat or where my hips were at, you know? And so you just kind of feel it. Whatever you feel your hips are doing, that's what, you know, that's what your car's doing. And then, so, and this is what you're looking for. This is what you want it to do. And, you know, if those aren't matching up then you, you got to make a correction, but this is how you can kind of figure out what correction needs to be made in, you know, in layman's terms, I guess, if you will. And so that, that made a lot of sense to me once I, he told me that and then I got out there on the track and put it together and that helped me a lot. Uh, just as trying to figure out what my car was doing and what we needed to do to make it better. I right. guess if that makes sense, you know, there's a lot of adjustments on a sprint car. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, you can have yourself out in left field so far that like you don't know where your home plate's at. And so, you know, that was another thing that Glenn and Gary kind of helped with was like, we, I would have some wild ideas like, I want to try this or I want to try that on setup. And he'd be like, nope, we're not trying that. That'll never work. You know, he's an older guy, but nope, we won't be trying that. That'll never work. I'm telling you right now. And so. But he had a why though, right? Oh, he knew. I mean, yeah, he, he knew. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can, that's one of the most valuable opinions you can get. Somebody can tell. That knows. Like, I, hate, I, hate, I hate it when somebody, no, I, no, you can't do that. But they don't want to tell me why. He And he would. He would tell me why, whatever I, whatever my idea was, if it wasn't going to work, he could tell me why. And it would be a logical reasoning. It wasn't like he was just blowing smoke or shooting shit or whatever. He was right. That was another beneficial part of it was having his knowledge. It was a big help. So you started racing at 20, you said 26? 26. 26. So, so you was already kind of a wild, like you had that, not, not wild dude, yeah. but you, you had that no, mentality. I mean, you was going to push it a little was, bit. Yeah, you was, was going to push it a little bit. What do you think are the benefits of pushing it uh, versus the benefits of not pushing it? Cause I, and, and, I, and I'm, yeah. re, I'm, re, I'm referring that to when you said when you first started, yeah. you, you tore a lot of shit up. Driving over my head. You're right. driving over your head, right? So, yeah. Is there is there any benefits to that? Depends on how big your pocketbook is, your car owner's pocketbook. Right. Honestly, if you've got the ability to 
replace whatever you tear up on it, right? To a certain extent, as long as you're, if you're crashing your shit and not hurting anybody else or tearing anybody else's stuff up, then you bet, go for it. See how you got to find the line, right? There's a line there that you got to figure out where that line's at and, and what happens where going over that line is. And then you want to run as close to that line or the ragged edge, whatever you want to call it, as you can get sometimes over it without fucking up. Right. In that aspect of it, there would be some benefits. But being, what you say, over your head, driving over your head or being aggressive or whatever, you know, I guess maybe to figure out how far you can push it. Um, the, the guys that are good race car drivers, they can be aggressive. Uh, they know when to be aggressive, but they don't ever like, I won't say they don't ever, but more times than not, they don't put the, anybody else in a position of danger, great danger, I guess. I don't want this to sound corny or whatever, but you know, they'll be aggressive, controlled, like aggressive, I guess you would say, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's aggressive, but it's not over their head. It's not out of control. So there's always a polar opposite of somebody, right? So you coming in, balls to the wall, right? What about that guy that comes in and says safety first, safety yeah, first? Yeah, you got to have – it don't work out that, you know. I mean, you can be that guy, I guess. Sometimes, more times than not, you're going to be in the way. Now, depending on what class we're talking about, some entry-level drivers or whatever, that they are. It's You know, they're just out there kind of riding around, if you will, being safe, uh, you know, kind of going back to just getting laps or gaining experience, if you will. Um, as you move up, like in a sprint car, that probably be frowned upon. You'd be in the way. You know I mean, yeah. you got to maintain some speed. That's another thing. Like, if you're not maintaining a, consi- a, a consistent, competitive speed on the racetrack, I'm gonna tell you get off because you're in the way and you're a danger to yourself and everybody else out there. Right? You've got to be able to maintain competitive race speed. Yeah, I got to you. a certain extent. I don't mean you got to keep up with the leader, right? Yeah. But when the guy that's ahead of you, you're in last place, and the guy ahead of you is a half lap ahead or farther, right? Lap Right. Then we've got a problem. Yeah. And so that's when, you know, hey, you're going to have to pull off if you can't maintain a, you know, a good race pace. How often is that an issue? You know, sometimes at the beginning of the year, you'll have, you know, you, you'll have that. Or even during the race, somebody might – tear up something, knock a steering arm off or whatever, where they can still turn the car, but they can't turn it like they could before. But they'll stay out there. Instead of pulling the infield or pulling off the track, they'll stay out there. And then they're, you know, they're in the way, if if you will. And when they fall below this, you know, the speed, the pace of what we feel is good, then that's when we ask them, you know, to pull off or we black flag them uh, to get them to pull off the racetrack so that they're not in the way. Yeah. No, nah, man, it's cool though, man. I like it, dude. Like, you know what? What I like about uh, you know Parker is Parker getting into it. Like, I really want to be like, when's his first live competition going to be? Probably in uh, April. In of, April, you know, next next spring. In dude, April. I gotta be there. Dude. Yeah, that's just gonna be fun as shit. Oh yeah, Nathan Jackson. He uh, he he's helped the Elgin Wrestling Program out a lot. Yeah, a lot. You know, his oldest kid's Hunter. He'll be sophomore. So his, his his oldest son took third at state last year. Okay, right. Yeah. So he's 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 been instrumental through the program. But once uh, Coach Rowell got here, like it's hard for he can't sit in the corner no more and coach. Right. He, yeah. He's like, no, nah, take my kid. I just can't. My nerves get too bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, so I wonder how does that transition to other sports, i.e., race car? Yeah, Are you going to be able uh, to be down there? Yeah, it's tough. I'm telling you, you gonna be able to be in his ear and talk to him. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, there's been a couple of times he's been out there practicing here in the last few weeks, and I've just been like turning around and you know turning my head the other direction and oh, just gut wrenching, man, because I feel like oh, he's going way too fast, way too high, way too close to the wall. 
I mean, just all the stuff that, you know, I, I can see fixing to happen, but he main, he's maintained so far and, and hasn't hit or tore anything up on it. You know what I mean? Like my asshole has been drawn up really tight a few times watching him go around the racetrack and he's hasn't had one problem or one issue so far. Now, granted, like I said, this has been out there by itself. I mean, had no other cars out there. And so, you know, it'd be a different deal when we put some other cars out there around him. But I think Parker will do all right. It might take Parker a little bit to become aggressive, but I don't know, man, watching him, you know, just making laps by himself and stuff and his speed, his pace that he can maintain or keep, I feel like he'll hold his own just on that. You know what I mean? Like he can maintain or, or, or keep up with the majority of the guys out there. I'm not saying he's going to be passing a whole bunch of them, right? But I'm talking about maintaining, racing with them, whatever. A lot of the guys out there just on his – the speed he'll have alone, right? Just yeah. because of the, of the speed he'll drive – how fast he'll drive the car. But it, I feel like it'll be uh, really controlled. He's you know he's he has good car control so far anyway, um, which is you know that's a big thing. Uh, being just being able to control the race car and move it around on the racetrack to, to and drive it you know on a different spot or different line or whatever. So he's shown some good signs, um, positive. You know, like I don't have a problem with turning him loose out there or whatever. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm not so concerned that you know they drop the green flag and within two laps we're going to have a yard sale. And pieces laying everywhere, right? You know, and he just—I yeah. don't—I don't feel like he's going to wad the fucking thing up in, in two laps. I, I feel like you know uh, his awareness in the head, you know, his head on him is pretty pretty good. Is it harder for you with uh, cars versus for with the trampoline, for example? Would it yeah. be harder? Is it harder for you with the cars because you know what can happen? I feel like maybe so. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I think so. I mean, you know, like I said when I was watching, I could see things that I, you know, all right, if he don't do this. This is fixing to happen right here, but he did whatever it was to keep that from happening. You know what I mean, if you will. So, yeah. I would say that watching the the race cars, as opposed to you know the tumbling deal, I feel like a little bit more nerve wracking because I can kind of foresee maybe what's what could happen um, in the in the race car deal. To me, sometimes it's fifty fifty, man. Like you know, like the wrestling. Like I don't, I don't think when it comes to straight wrestling, uh, folk style wrestling. I don't really worry about it as much, right? Yeah. But when it gets to freestyle and Greco, yeah. especially when they get resistance, it can go from having a good day to Olympic style body slam real yep. quick. You know what I mean? But yeah, but like the, like I was saying earlier, I can watch the trampoline event. Yeah. And and, and not only when I'm scared for my kid, I'm scared for everybody's right. kids. It is. He's touching the ceiling almost. So high. Jesus. Uh, yeah, for anybody that ain't ever seen that, man, that is something to see them kids bouncing on that trampoline through the ceiling of these gymnasiums is unbelievable. But, yeah, it's it's impressive to watch. That's for sure. And it is also, like you said, gut-wrenching at times. What do y'all got coming up race-wise? So we just um, – we're finishing out the season. We usually start – we try to start um, – either the last weekend of March or the first weekend of April. And we race every Saturday night um, through August. So usually uh, Labor Day weekend, that Saturday, I believe, of Labor Day weekend is our last regular season night. And then, like I said, we have a two-day show. And we come back in October for a two-day Winter National show uh, Friday and Saturday night. <clears throat> or the, actually, I think it is the end of September, the last weekend of September we finish that. That'll be the end of the season for us. Um, once school starts and, you know, football, high school football, college football, all that stuff starts, you just lose, you know, so many people, uh, what you would call your regulars, if you will, because, you know, they got so much other stuff going on. 
with school starting, athletics, Friday night football, college footballs on Saturday. You know, we just we used to race all the way through September up until October, and then we had the Winter Nationals the first week of October, which so you know it turned out to be like five or six more nights. Uh, but we, you know, we just kind of seen the writing on the wall that there was no reason to try to compete with that. We weren't, we weren't getting the same crowds, you know, that we would get earlier in the year. And so we just quit running that, that long, that, that far into September and just quit, you know, cut it off at August. And so that's, you know, that's about what we got left here at Lawton for this year. So if you, if you're a parent and you're thinking about getting your kid into racing, yeah, uh, what's the best way to get in contact with somebody that can give you some advice? Just, uh, you can go to your local track. That's probably the, the best advice I would give is just go to your local racetrack and watch the races. And then after the races are over, they let we let everybody come to the pits and you can go to the drivers, you know, the car, the trailers, to their pit stall or pit area or whatever and hang out and talk to them. And, and you know, so I would say just come watch and, and if, you know, your kid's interested or whatever, just come watch the races and see, you know, what, what it's all about and what they like, what cars they're interested in and, and go from there, you know, and then any race car driver, the, the racetrack, is, I've, it's like the safest place in the world, really. You know what I mean? Like I would take my kids to the racetrack and turn them loose and I don't know. I mean, what are they? You know, like at Lawton, at Lawton Speedway, it's kind of like, um, the promoters or the tracks, um, I guess you would say choice. Like if, if you want your kid to race, you bring them out to lot and say, you've got a car or whatever. And then, so we're going to put them on the track to, to see, you know, I don't know. You, you just kind of, it's the promoter's choice, I guess, if you will. There's no set age limit. Like we had a, a kid in the tuners this year, uh, that four cylinder class and he's like right, 11 or 12. If he's even that old, maybe he's 10, uh, running that deal. But the, these kids, they, you know, when they run these junior sprints or these micros at seven, eight, nine years old, well, then if they do move up, to a tuner or whatever. Well, they've already raced for so many years. So, you know, it's not, there's no real age limit per se at our track. Um, so, you know, if your kid's 12, 10 years old or whatever, nothing bad like that happens at a racetrack. No kids get abducted, you know, no mis, no mistreating. There's nothing like the racetrack is the safe place, you know? And so, um, come to the racetrack and, you know, just watch, see what it's about. And like I said, you can go talk to the racers after the races are over and go from there. They'll, you know, there's somebody there that can, they, that'll help you out. That'll talk to you, you know, get you going in the right direction. Well, you know, whatever direction you, you might want to go, uh, you know, me, like I was just geared towards sprint cars. I guess that was always been my thing. I've always loved them. We've always run sprint cars at all of our racetracks on a weekly basis. And so, you know, that's kind of where I was, since I had a shot at it, that's, you know, that's what I wanted to do was drive a sprint car. Not everybody does that. Not everybody starts out in a sprint car. It's not really the typical normal route, if you will, but it's not like the wrong way or, the, you know, nothing wrong with it. It's just kind of, I guess, not your typical way. Usually you start, you know, a smaller division or whatever, right. kind of work your way up. So. One question I really wanted to ask about, I didn't know, you might not want to talk about it, but, you know, growing up, you talk about a lot about your grandpa. Yeah. Them getting into racing. Yeah. How was your relationship with your dad it was, in racing? So my mom and dad, they got divorced when I was like a year and a half, coming up on two years old or whatever. My dad raised me. Right? Right. I say raised me. I grew up at my dad's house right. during the week and then on the, in the summertime or whatever on the weekends, 
Then I would go to the racetrack or uh, go to my mom's. I kind of had an issue with my stepdad that she was married to at the time. And he was kind of, you know, uh, big guy, whatever, anyway. And so I just said, I'm going to go live with my dad. Yeah. And so I lived with my dad. My dad, I lived with my dad my whole childhood in Elgin, a block away from my grandpa and grandma on his, you know, his mom and dad. Um, so we're not good then we over the wrestling. I see racing. Yeah. Well, so my mom's uh, mom and dad are the ones that, that own the racetrack. Yeah. And so um, oh, I had, oh. a, yeah, I had a great relationship with, oh, with you. both, you know, like my dad, and his, my grandparents, you know, on his side, and then my mom and my grandparents on that side. Um, so, yeah. And like I said, my dad, my dad was a great baseball player in high school and played college baseball. And so, like, when I grew up, I, I grew up, like I, like I said, a, a normal childhood, I guess you will. I played sports. I played baseball. And um, I also, I didn't race until I was 26 years old. So, there was yeah. never like, you know, me and my dad going to the races together to race. When I got older, he came and, and watched, you know, when I started racing older. But when I was a kid, me and my dad went to the baseball field or we went to baseball games and we did shit like that. Or I rode my, yeah. you know, he bought me the, my first motorcycle. So, um, I, you know, I rode motorcycles and stuff like that. And then I would go to the racetrack. Like when I was a kid, you know, I just went there and hung out and just, like I said, I did every job but as a kid. I sold snow cones and I sold cotton candy and I worked in the t-shirt stand and, you know, I did grunt work in the concession stand, all that stuff. And so... Um, but like to answer your question, my relationship with my dad was great. I, you know, like I said, I, I, I lived in Elgin. I grew up in Elgin with him. Well, no, I just, I had it wrong. The way I understood it was it was your dad's parents that ran no, the racetrack. It's my mom's parents that ran the racetrack. Yeah, and see, so my dad, he got remarried, uh, when I was five. And so him and my stepmom, they had two sons, my little, my little brothers, half brothers, uh, Dylan and Trevor. And so, um, they're my brothers. I don't want to say half brothers. They're my brothers, but whatever. Um, I guess legally, whatever, <laughs> you know. But until they get a line, they definitely have yeah. to. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so I got two little brothers, um, you know, and so I have like normal, uh, normal, everything was normal, I guess, however you want to say it. You know, uh, I don't know, man, that's just one of those stories that, that I really want to know because, you know, I, when I started this podcast, just trying to figure out, sure, you know, who, who killed my dad. You know what I mean? Right. Because I've seen your dad, even when Dax was little, yeah. playing for you the first time, you know, baseball and stuff. You yeah. know, I've seen your dad out there, you know, helping out right. and stuff like that, man. And, you know, you hear stories and stuff about, you know, him him and his baseball career and stuff right. like that. So yeah. was, and so that was kind of like, I had, you know, I had that. I had like, I don't know how you say it, I had two things going, I guess, or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I grew up here in Elgin and played sports and everything here in Elgin and, and me and my dad. You know, he taught me how to play baseball. He taught me everything I know about baseball. And so, you know, I had that side of the deal, a relationship or, you know, had that going on. And then honestly, I had this, you know, the racetrack going on too. And so, but like I said, when I was a kid, I just hung out out there and did, you know, work concession stand and stuff like that. And, and then uh, as I got older, I took over. Me and my mom run the concession stand side of it. And so um, I got to where I was like, now I have to do all that shit. Like, all the orders for the food and, you know, all that. So you learned how to hustle. Stand. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, you learned to hustle. Yeah. yeah. Which it was beneficial. So now like there's nothing there that I haven't done yeah. except announcing and scoring. I think I could maybe do the scoring. I don't know. Sometimes it's pretty nerve wracking too. When they're trying to keep track of all the cars on the track and what order they cross the start finish line. Every lap, you know, what right, I mean, right. every lap they're writing down the car numbers as they cross the start finish yeah, line. That's and, almost, know. that's like a two or three person job. It, we got three, it, we have two, we try to have three uh, ladies up there scoring, you know, 
every Saturday night for us in case, you know, because it's just too much sometimes. You, know, you get all the cars out there. Because they, they, get, they, get, they, they score – they score off the, the laps that are lead in lead, right? So the guy that, you know, they throw the green flag, the leader comes around for lap one, they got a lap sheet that's got one through 20 on the top, yeah. and they just start writing car numbers down. Lap one, they just write them down as they cross the start-finish line, right? Lap two, lap three, and then they all do that, and if there's any discrepancies, then, you know, they, they check each other's score sheets to see, you know, if two out of three of them got the same thing or whatever, you know, to come to a decision on – where who finished in the race um but i think but other than that i mean every doing everything else out there is doing you know growing up is beneficial because i know <laughs> right. i know how to do a lot of stuff out there i guess on on that though just just so i'm clear on it it's it, it's still the person that is first at the end of the race though right oh yeah 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 it's still the person that's first but what what would be some instances see when- so like a lot of tracks now have transponders so it's a little transponder you put on your cart and we have a scoring loop. So we have the wire going across the track. So when you, when the transponder crosses that, it records that, right? right? You know okay. what I mean? So that's, that's how a lot of tracks do their scoring is on a transponder system. It's a computer that keeps track of the transponder on the track, uh, you know, as it goes around the track and every time it crosses the start finish line, it records that. And so that does the scoring for you. We just don't have the transponders. Yeah, or I just so what's the point of scoring it if it's still only the the top three that? First? Oh no, because we pay all the way to twentieth place. Okay, that okay, that yeah. makes sense. So okay. we got to keep track of all twenty of them. I got you. I got yeah, you. I got you. Yeah, okay. And then you get points. The points. So the guys are racing there weekly for points because we have for a, the points for a, the overall championship. Yeah, sure. Okay. And so that you know you get points for each position. So every you got to keep keep track of all twenty of them. Um, because it's all you know, it all matters as far as yeah, like how yeah. many points you get and what you get paid. No, that, that at makes the end sense. Of the night. So, so like, so so the year that you won the championship, yeah, that was based off of accumulation. Like you just sure. didn't win every race. Uh, no, no, I didn't win every race. Uh, we won. Um, I won. I think I won eight. I won nine races in the regular season, and I won the Saturday night Winter National Saturday night portion of the Winter Nationals in October that year. So. Um, and we raced 20, I think we had like 23 or 24 nights on the schedule that year. Right. And so, yeah, I won nine of them. Shit. Uh, it was that pretty badass to me, bro. We won, <laughs> I, I won like, uh, I won, I won three races in a row that year and I won uh, four out of five. So I like won three in a row, then a lot, one second, and then I won the following. So, you know, it was a good year. That was a good summer. Uh how many like uh, the actual cars that you race? How many seats are in it? Is it just one seat? Oh yeah, it's just one seat. Yeah. Mine's Is there any classes that have two seats? So we used to have a uh, uh, class at Lawton that was so they had a steering wheel for the driver and then the passenger or the gas. What we called them cruisers, right? What? Yeah. So the passenger did the gas and the driver steered, right? So it was entertaining, but we could, it's kind of like one of those deals where the first, first couple of weeks we did it, we had six or seven cars. Yeah. But then three, four weeks into the deal, we only had two cars. Is there any of them cars still left? Not that I know of, man. You know, this that, that'd be, that'd be a fun way to do the fundraiser I was talking right. about. Yeah. That'd be a fun way to Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. So if you had like a, uh, I mean, and we had like some guys had like, 
it, we didn't really have a restriction on what car. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like, there was a couple of guys that had old school uh, Lincolns, <laughs> big boats, you know, yeah. like big cars. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And big it, body. It, big, big wide body cars. They'd be just floating out there. Yeah. Right? But it was, it, so it was entertaining to watch, you know. You, the ones guys, you can rock the brakes, it looks like you have power dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to doing the walk Yeah. There, you know? Yeah. 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 That, that was pretty cool. We just, it just got to where we we didn't have the cars to to keep it going. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just lose interest, and and it really didn't pay. You know, as far as like if you tear, if you tore anything up, you really haven't come out of your own pocket. To you yeah. know, nothing you were going to win was going to help pay for anything you tore up. But it was fun. You know, it's fun to watch. Um, I might let this dog out for this untimely demise. <laughs> You've been quiet the whole time, huh? Yeah, the the bandage ran off. Now that we're back, let's talk about your car real quick and then end it on the chili boat. Yeah, what I race yeah. is a sprint car, right? Yeah. So it's got 105. You measure the circumference right. of the right rear, it's 105 inches. Your left rear circumference is usually like 92, 94. You know, the difference in the two is what makes it turn left. Right. Um, the wing on the top pushes the tires into yeah. the ground, and then your, you know, your difference in the sizes. It's turning left all the time. Um, and, it, you know, like I said, it's purpose built. It has no transmission. It has no starter. So it's like a, it's a direct drive. So off the back of the motor, there's a yoke. And then there's a drive shaft that runs right between your legs that hooks into the rear end that's sitting underneath your butt. And so you got the drive shaft spinning 8,500 RPMs between your legs. Mm. And so um, it's just an in and out box. It's either you put it in gear, push it to start. When you want to stop, you take it out of gear. To start it again, you have to turn the engine off, put it back in gear and push it. They have to be push started. They don't have a starter on them or anything right. like that, right? So it has to be push started. Um, and that's a sprint car, right? Uh, midget, same way. It's just a four cylinder. Same style, same design, just a four cylinder. You know, push start then. Like we have a race in January um, in Tulsa. It's called the Chili Bowl. My grandpa, my grandma started it back in 1987 with another uh, husband and wife from up around Tulsa area that was all there in the promoting business as well. He started this race in 1987 and we're still having it now. It's the um, biggest indoor race in the country um, and we get all kinds of drivers from so the deal with the chili bowl is like it's in the middle of january so there's nothing right. else going on right no other racing going on so you get drivers from all aspects of motorsports nascar um indycar uh, all all types of dirt track you know all these drivers come to tulsa to race in this race so you know it's kind of a prestigious deal you get a lot of big name people there and um, they were still running it every January uh, for maybe 38 years, I think, coming up here. Uh, I'm doing my math right. Uh, yeah. That we're been putting this race on now. I mean, so my grandma and grandpa and their business partners, husband and wife, they started the deal. Now, my grandma and grandpa have passed away. And the wife of the partner, the other part, side of the partnership, the wife has passed away. So there's only one remaining of the four that started it, you know. Um, but we're still carrying on, I guess, if you will. We're going to 
keep having, I don't see it ending anytime soon. We're going to keep having it every year in, in January, uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Chili Bowl Nationals. Chili Bowl Nationals. And like, there's no, the Chili Bowl is unique because there's no rules. It's like you have to buy your fuel from the racetrack, right? So you're not running some illegal hot fuel. You have to buy your fuel from us and you have to weigh a certain amount. Right. The car and driver has to weigh so much. Other than that, it's pretty much wide open. So, I mean, within the aspect of you have a four cylinder midget, you know, style car. But uh, so some guys, they have just purpose built chili bowl cars that they build them like yeah. this guy and they sit in his shop all year long until January. And then he, right. you know, does a full tune up on them and brings them to Tulsa and races them. It's, uh, it's a five day, well, we practice on, we were practicing on Sunday, racing Monday to Saturday. Now I think we're practicing on Saturday, racing Sunday to Saturday, right? So it's like seven days long now. Started out as, Thursday, Friday, and no, I think it just started out Friday and Saturday back in 1987. They just had a two day show. And so, but now we get like uh, 320 entries, 320 cars entered. That's good though, right? So they break them up over, you know, you, you 320 cars. So you got five qualifying nights. So you right. take 320 and divide it by five. Those, so many cars will qualify on their qualifying night. So that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, it's a huge deal. Really. Uh, you know, the Chili Bowl is like, and I didn't realize, you know, I'm not trying to brag or whatever. I didn't realize how, you know, when you involve with something like that, I guess I didn't realize kind of the scale or how big it was, you know. Right. Maybe when I was younger, I didn't. And it, it didn't start out huge. Don't get me wrong. Like the first couple of years that it started, um, their business, my grandma and grandma's business partners were like, uh, we, you know, something's got to change here. We've lost, we're losing money yeah, this two yeah. years in a row. I mean, you know, it was just like, what are we doing? But, you know, they stuck it out and it obviously turned out to be a, you know, a great beneficial thing, you know, that, that they all stuck it out together or whatever. So, but it didn't start out like, you know, this huge sold out event. Like now, you know, we, it's sold out and it's been sold out. There's a waiting list for tickets and all this stuff, but you know, it wasn't like that the whole time. So I didn't realize, I guess the scale of, of how big, you know, it actually is until I got a little bit older and kind of, kind of, right. you know, got an idea of who's all involved. And, you know, like people talk about the chili bowl that aren't involved with the chili bowl. So you know, it's, it is a big deal. And it's something I'm, you know, I'm proud of it. It's, it's a, it's pretty cool. They built that, and, you know, we should keep it going, I guess. Uh,